Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Revolution Recap. We're coming back to you after the Revolution blew a 3-1 to halftime lead against Orlando City um, on a road trip in Orlando. What was really a pretty big game for the Revolution as Orlando is one of the teams that's been trying to catch them for that seventh, final, that seventh and final playoff spot. Um, the Revolution got off to a good start in this one with kind of a fortuitous own goal. Uh, Gustavo Bode, good play on the, the left wing. Um, but was a bit lucky that Akindale kind of had a, kind of a acrobatic redirect into his own net. Um, then the Revolution gave up that lead on a on a nanny header off of a corner kick, which was uh, kind of disappointing marking from the Revolution. But they came back through Christian Pania to take the lead again in the 35th minute on a you know, fantastic chip from Pania. And then Gustavo Bo uh, doubled the Revolution lead, made it three to one in the 41st minute um, on another nice finish after some nice combination play from Carles Heel. Uh, but coming into the second half. The Revolution got off to a terrible start, looked really flat-footed. Um, just the 47th minute, Dom Dwyer made it 3-2, to two, uh, and then Nani made it 3-3 three to three in the 54th minute, and really Orlando had some chances to even take the lead after that. The Revolution late in the game had a chance to, to get it back themselves, but um, overall kind of a disappointing result for the Revolution, given they were up 3-1. to one. Joining me today is Seth Maycomber from the Bet Market. Seth, how are you doing? Good. I'm happy to be here. I mean, uh, as you can tell by how long it took you to go through all the goals there, it was a pretty pretty wild game last night. So what do you make of that game? Was was this a, really a case of, of two points dropped for the Revolution, given how well they started? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, to be up 3-1 at halftime is something you hope to hold on to. Um, that said, it's kind of an interesting one because you come back from the break and Dom Dwyer scores that goal. And, and to me, the Revs really don't do anything wrong in that play. I mean, it looks like everything is well covered. Um, up until that moment, they were they were playing very compact. It was difficult for them to – for Orlando to try to break through it all. And uh, right before that play, you actually saw Orlando go all the way back to their back line before restarting and coming at them again. So it seemed like the Revs had, you know – had the idea to go into this break and then come out of it and really try to play compact soccer and make sure that they, they don't allow Lando back into the game. But then, uh, you know, that wonderful header from Dwyer gives them an opportunity to get back in the game. The fans get really uh, rowdy. It's a wet, wild atmosphere. Uh, so, I mean, that to me was a defining moment. And I'm not sure how unavoidable it was. Uh, I'm going to have an article tomorrow and I talk a little bit about I would have liked to see Scott Caldwell come in at halftime for Diego Fagundes because I don't think Diego Fagundes was necessarily playing that well. And Scott Caldwell is the type of guy who holds possession, you know, does those quick passes. That said, you don't often see halftime subs. You know, like if, if you're thinking about making that change, you're probably not going to make it until like the 60th minute or so. And really what it comes down to is it kind of being an unfortunate um, situation where they love that goal and that gives uh, – gives uh, Orlando a little bit more momentum and a little bit more confidence to, to make things happen. So the entire game itself was played at a crazy pace. It was back and forth. Um, both teams had opportunities. Uh, honestly, like it, it, you know, three threes are pretty crazy scoreline to see in soccer in general, but it actually might've been a conservative scoreline. I mean, um, especially uh, Matt Turner made what's becoming a weekend uh, thing where every single weekend he's making these great saves. Same thing happened on Saturday. So it was just a wild affair. Uh, you hope that you can hold on to it if you're up 3-1 at halftime. But, um, you know, that, that second goal for Orlando really changed things. And, and really, I'm not sure what they can do to avoid it. 
Yeah, you made a lot of great points there. And honestly, the, the goals that were scored in this game, I would argue, were, were not even the best chances of this game because I think Pania had a, a fantastic chance late where he probably should have scored. Uh, Orlando had some great chances where Matt Turner just came up huge. Um, and, and some of the goals that were scored in this one had a much higher level of difficulty than the, the chances that were wasted. Um, but, you know, to me, what was really disappointing from the Revolution was the, the, the defensive play on set pieces. We've, we've seen it a lot from the Revs over the years. You kind of hope Bruce Arena would fix it, and he's been here long enough where um, you kind of hope it would be better. But, you know, it was it was a corner kick in which Orlando scored the first goal. Uh, really, it, it wasn't even a, a great position for, for Nani. He was running away from goal on a fantastic header. But um, you'd like to see tighter marking on that. And then Dom Dwyer's goal that made it 3-2 to two, uh, really started with a throw-in. Um, and he was kind of wide open in the box. It was a fantastic, again, Nani with a fantastic cross into the box. But he wasn't closed down fast enough. And then Dwyer was, was pretty open for that one. Um, so, it, you know, that's something that's, that's kind of troubling, isn't it, to see the revolution at this stage of the game again still kind of you know lackadaisical on these set pieces yeah i agree i mean i think you can always put more pressure on those players but again like you know dom dwyer's header just kind of that, that's a pretty amazing header to to have scored there um maybe if you put a little bit more pressure on him he has a hard time doing that flick on header but i was still i mean it was still something that to me came out of, of something that was pretty pretty minor um so, yeah, I mean, obviously, when you look back, you always want to be better on those marking, those opportunities. But I'm not sure if if Dom Dwyer always scores that type of header when given that opportunity. No, that's a, that's a fair point for sure. Um, but, you know, you look at the Revolution's play now, and they've only had one win since July. It's kind of the, the gloss of the of the arena tenure kind of worn off a little bit. Obviously, they're still doing much better than they did under, under Brad Friedel, but it seemed like for a while there that, that – arena could do no harm um and you know you mentioned the the fagundes play in this game i didn't think he was great either and you know scott cobble is a guy that really hasn't seen much time i thought he played better tonight um in his limited minutes and you know he was a guy that i would have expected to start this game given the the absences they had especially on the road where it's kind of aggressive at least to me to, to put fagundes kind of in that number eight role isn't it yeah i, I was surprised by it. i mean I think, though, it, it kind of tells you what um, Bruce Arena thinks of Scott Caldwell. I mean, he's he's mostly been the guy that comes in late in games and plays a last couple minutes. This is actually a, a pretty long stretch for him to come in on the, I believe, 74th minute last night and to, to play um, 16, uh, 16 minutes to end the game. Uh, I was surprised, and, and I mentioned this before, that we've seen Juan Agudelo, we've seen Diego Fagundes play that, that – um, role in the middle, but it's often against teams that are uh, not the most aggressive in the middle or not the best offensives. Um, so this was kind of a, a big challenge for Diego because they this is a team that was against the wall. I mean, Orlando had to attack. They they talked about it in, in the post game, saying that this was their final. Like they had they knew they had to go out there and get three points if they wanted to have any chance of making the playoffs. So um, they were going to send people forward at all times, and I think you really see at times that. Diego Fugunas is not the best. It's not natural for him to defend, per se. Uh, he's sometimes a little clunky. Sometimes he's he doesn't move his feet quick enough. And we saw that third goal of the night, Nani just had his number. I mean, he cuts one way, then he cuts the other way. Diego just is just you know spinning in that situation, and Nani scores a great goal right there. Uh, and, and so to me, that's why I said earlier that, okay, if you want to start Diego Fugunas, that's fine. I mean, it worked out that they were 3-1 at halftime, but – to me, it's also a little uh, fortunate to be in that situation. So maybe you make a halftime sub, Brad Friedel style, and you bring on uh, you bring on a guy that that holds possession for you in Scott Caldwell, um, and hopefully you can see out that game a little bit more successfully because he's a guy who who knows how to protect the back line, he knows how to connect passes, he knows how to hold possession. That's what the really, Revs really needed to do because the game was being played so quickly that you needed to slow it down a little bit by just connecting safe passes, making sure that Orlando didn't have the ball. Um, and, and the Rebs really didn't do that. Like Orlando had a lot of good opportunities and a lot of, um, you know, they held the ball quite well. And the Rebs kind of just try to stay behind the ball. And, and that's difficult to do for, for any extended amount of time, especially playing at a place that's that's very difficult, a place you've never won before. Um, and, and it didn't work out. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about being up 3-1, do you make a halftime substitution? No, you usually don't. But when you look back and think about, you know, Diego being burnt on the third goal and then the Revs giving up that that uh, second goal right after halftime, maybe you want to bring on a defensive midfielder, a more natural defensive midfielder at halftime to, to hold possession. 
Yeah, certainly hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, looking back at it, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, my you know bigger surprise here was that they waited till the sixty eighth minute to actually make a sub, given how poorly they started in the second half. It seemed a little bit slow to pull the trigger. And then I was kind of surprised that the substitution was Michael Mancian coming on for Juan Fernando Caicedo after this game had already you know kind of blown up and, and become three to three at that point. Um, you, you mentioned Scott Caldwell. It seems like you know that was maybe a time to to make that sub Diego for Scott Caldwell. Uh, you know, you look at the chances that Orlando had right after they scored that equalizer. Kindle kind of made a, a, an unmarked run through the midfield to, to get open and uh, led to a really good save from Matt Turner that really could have made it four to three there. Um, and, you know, that was one of those plays where Diego was kind of caught ball watching. It was a little bit slow to, to track the runner. Um, so to me, that looked like that was the obvious first sub. Um, what, what did you make of that first sub there with, with Mancian coming on for Juan Fernando Caicedo and, and really hunkering down defensively after they'd already blown the lead? Yeah, I think that uh, Bruce kind of saw that there were some issues going on and, and he was hoping to bring on Mancian and allow uh, Brandon Body to get forward a little bit more. I mean, that's, that's kind of what he always does anyway. But maybe you provide a little bit more coverage for him in those opportunities. And it almost worked out. I mean, uh, soon after Mancian comes in, Brandon Body gets really, really high, uh, offers one of his low crosses, which are his best crosses versus the, the ones in the air. And uh, Juan Fernando Carcedo almost, uh, almost able to poke that in. I mean, if that works – um, then you have a 4-3 lead and you have that center back to hold things down. Um, so I, I can see the mindset behind it. You want to try to solidify things. Man CN has that experience. Honestly, though, I probably would have gone Jaleel Anibaba. I mean, uh, I just I just think that uh, Man CN is good for, for one mistake per game or so, and, and he doesn't always track very well. Uh, he struggles sometimes with, with you know, going 1v1 against someone and his clearances. Uh, Julio Anibaba, however, uh, is that kind of player who, who brings so much energy, and he's also really good at making those big blocks. So you imagine late in the game when things are, you know, pretty – uneasy in a game that's going really fast you want someone who's going to you know, throw his body in any which direction to, to to try to keep that ball in the back of the net so i mean it, when you look at the sub options tejan i mean obviously first of all the revs are down one sub because um of injuries and suspensions so you have less options on the bench i mean tejan buchanan is there but i think it's pretty clear at this point that bruce arunia is not going to put on, bring on buchanan so uh, Caldwell is another guy who, who hasn't really had uh, a lot of opportunities under Arena. Um, Teal Bumber is coming back from injury. So if, if you're trying to solidify things in that spine and give a little bit more freedom to uh, Brandon Bay, I understand bringing in another center back. Uh, but, yeah, it definitely on paper 100% seems weird because you're down – I mean, you're, no, sorry, you're tied, and you just let up two goals, and now you're bringing on a center back. seems a bit weird, but I think that it was just about bringing on some experience and trying to solidify things there. Did, did you find it odd at all that the Revolution didn't have that seventh sub there, given that they had a lot of guys out on loan that could have come back in? Brian Wright's been you know, playing pretty well, and it seemed like Bunbury, given how few minutes he played in this game, probably wasn't ready to go more than you know six, ten minutes in this one. Um, was that surprising to you? And there, was, there were rumors or, or murmurings throughout the, the week that they would actually call somebody somebody up to kind of fill out that bench. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Wright would have been an interesting person. He's he's done some good things down in Birmingham. Um, another one would be Anking. Anking's, you know, done some some okay things down in the USL. He has got his first professional assist a few weeks back. Um, I think that the situation was that Bruce Arena doesn't really know those guys very well and hasn't seen a lot of those guys. Uh, so he, he's probably more comfortable saying that uh, the, the guys that have been in in Foxborough every week, those are going to be his guys that, that go into this game. And he doesn't necessarily want to disrupt the the USL play of, of the other guys. But, yeah, it does does feel weird that you have some attacking options. You know, Rennick's is another player that could come in and maybe play some minutes. Uh, but maybe just Bruce Arena says, you know what, these are my guys. This is what I'm going with. Um Teal Bunbury on the broadcast, they talked about maybe he's going to play 20 minutes, uh, but, you know, the circumstances didn't necessarily allow that, and he's coming back from injury, so you want to be careful with him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a weird situation when you look here and you're saying, okay, it's late in the season, we're pushing for a playoff spot, and we're, we're, we're going into this game uh, with pretty limited attacking options. Would you have liked to see someone come in? Yeah, I mean, to me, this was, you talked to, I talked about it last week, it was one of those games where it would have been nice to have a guy like like Brian right out there for, you know, if Caicedo got tired. I, I thought, I agree with you that the, the substitution kind of needed at the point where, where they made the Mancian for Caicedo sub was one, a defensive one to kind of clog up the midfield. I, I kind of disagree with that being the sub. 
Um, I think any Baba would have more sense. I, but I, to me, I would have made the, the call well for Fagundes up there and seen if that alone could have kind of locked things up in midfield. I, I don't really fully understand. Um, and I know we've, we've talked about this before about you know why Bruce Arena seems to think so lowly of, of Scott Caldwell as far as how he ranks players. Um, and I thought Caldwell performed pretty well in this one. Um, so that's just the sub that, you know, there's been a few games this year where I would have liked to have seen the Revolution bring Scott Caldwell out there to see what he could do to, to try to lock up the game. Uh, it just seems, you know, when you're when you're in a 3-3 game uh, at that point that you you don't want to sacrifice that much offense um, at that at that situation. And yeah, you make a good point about about Brandon by pushing forward. But to me, that would have been the sub to make bring on Caldwell for Fagundes first and, and seeing if that fixed things before you you went further. Um, because three points would have been really helpful for the revolution here. Obviously, this was you know more of a must not lose game than a must win for the revolution because Orlando um, was a team that really needed three points out of this to put pressure on the revolution as one of those teams behind them. You know, the, the draw was still enough for the revolution to stay um, in in seventh place and keep Orlando back and, and really just leave Chicago and Montreal as the, as the bigger threats at this point. Um, but I, I would have liked to see the revolution have somebody else on the bench, be that, you know, Brian Wright, Isaac and King, Justin Rennick, somebody else to, to offer something up there. Uh, because it also seems like Bruce Arena doesn't have too much faith in, in Tejan Buchanan as a guy that can come off the bench and, and make a difference um, because we really haven't seen him get off the bench much at all since since Arena's taken over. So, um, you know, you, you could very well be right that Arena trusts the guys that he has in camp, uh, but it just seemed like one of those games where it's, it's kind of weird that you have all these guys out on loan and you don't recall one of them uh, for one game to, to fill out that bench. Yeah, and to your point, uh, you know, I thought Juan Fernando Corsedo was actually pretty good, uh, especially in the, the first half being a hold-up striker. You know, it, it's something that you need sometimes a guy that can play his back to goal, especially with, you know, Bo is so creative and you want him just to be floating around and finding those spaces. You don't want him to be that number nine with his back to goal. He's just not necessarily that good at that role. So you get a guy who is limited in the sense that he's not great at running. He's not great. Uh, his movement's not always as, as sharp as you want it to be, but he's, he's someone that knows how to play as a number nine and then you can have someone play off of him. So uh, you know, he's probably not going to play a full 90 minutes, so if you bring on Brian Wright to be a hold-up striker for 15, 20 minutes, especially if that that you know format was working, it makes a lot of sense. Because you imagine that if you take him off, uh, there's not many options as that pure number nine. And I don't think Bunbury is that that same uh, style of number nine. He's more the the high energy striker that that presses and and you know does the best he can to be his back to goal. But I think his touches are a little bit sloppier than you you would want from a number nine in that role. Yeah, I'm completely agreement with you there. It just it does seem like one of those games where you could have perhaps benefited from that. And I'm not sure that Brian Wright's ready to take on that role for the Revolution, but um, there have been promising signs from him in Birmingham, or at least to me, would have made sense to you know bring him back up and get him in training this week for a little bit with the team and, and see what he could offer, um, given the the shortness of depth on this team, because it wasn't even 100% clear that Bunbury was going to be ready for this game until later in the week. Um, but w- with all that said, what can you take away from a game like this, um, you know, given now that the Revolution do have just one win in their, in their last seven games and are, are starting to sort of limp towards the playoffs rather than uh, be in you know, fantastic form heading towards the playoffs like it looked like they would be a month ago? Yeah, I think that that's my biggest takeaway is that I still think the Revs are going to make the playoffs. But if you make the playoffs and you're in bad form, it doesn't really mean much. And to be fair, this season really doesn't matter that much because, uh, it, you know, things were so dire at the beginning of the year under Brad Friedel. And then the hero that is Mike Lapper comes in and it, the turnaround starts to happen, especially under Bruce Arena. Um, but, you know, like being this close to the playoffs and having that good form and thinking, man, but maybe something could happen here, you know. Maybe there's some magic in this season. We've seen in, in past years, Revs teams, you know, find that good form towards the end of the season and right, right into a potential MLS Cup final, uh, going to the MLS Cup final. Uh, and you, you wonder if there was some sort of magic in this season. But if this trend continues of uh, picking up points, which is nice, um, but if that trend continues and they just limp into the, the playoffs, like you said, then I don't expect them to make much noise in the playoffs. And that's, that's, that'd be kind of disappointing given the, the form and given what's happening here. I mean, we all know that Bruce Arena and the Revs are building towards next year, but um, that that form could be be hard to to capture sometimes. And the Revs had it, and it just seemed like there was you know this unbeatability about them that, that something good was going to happen this year. And for to, for you to lose that, and then or if you think about next year, I mean nothing's promised next year. You know, like we have no idea what this Revs team will do next year. You imagine that Bruce Arena is going to bring in some more of his own players, and and that hopefully things are going in that positive trend, but 
we've seen promise before and then it not turn around. Uh, so in a year that things could happen, you would want a little bit more because next year, nothing's promised, nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, really, when you look at the past several games, it's the last three that have been, you know, really disappointing. Because I think if you, you know, you go back to that LAFC game at home and, um, you know, best team in the league, it's, it's not too disappointing to see the Revolution outplayed by them. It's kind of expected. Uh, you know, you're excited with how the Revolution been playing at that point. But you still know that the quality of the revolution is not there with LAFC. So that wasn't too much of a surprise. And then going on the road, getting draws at Seattle and New York, even if, you know, some of the ways those played out were disappointing. I think, you know, those are results that you're happy with getting a point out of that. Um, and then, of course, winning at home versus Chicago. But you get into these last three games and that game against Toronto at home where you were playing a Toronto team that was missing Alphador, was missing some other guys. Um, and, you know, you, you you left it to late and just were able to salvage a draw on that one. That kind of showed where you're at, especially against another team that's, uh, you know, borderline playoff team in the East that you're kind of competing for for playoff positioning. That kind of started to show the weaknesses of the Revs. And then the New York City FC game, you, you kind of write off because of the red card and obviously disappointing that they didn't at least get a draw out of that one, given they you know had one so late. Um, but then this game was particularly disappointing because Orlando, you know, very mediocre team. They've, they've shown signs this season. And to be two goals up against a, a team like Orlando and, and not be able to hold on it and get a victory, that's that's a kind of a blow to a revolution team that you know had been gaining a lot of confidence under Bruce Arena. Um, so it's, I'm very curious to see you know how they turn things around next weekend against against Real Salt Lake. I think that'll be a crucial game for the revolution to get three points out of, um, you know, both for results-wise and for confidence-wise going into that late stretch. Um, but... You know, my main takeaway from this game is, you know, similar to yours. And, you know, I, I leave these this game and the, kind of this last three stretch of thinking the revolution really are kind of who we thought they were, um, you know, when Bruce Arena took over. And that's, you know, a team that is better than what Brad Friedel uh, had shown. But as a team that still doesn't have the quality to actually compete for an MLS Cup, um, I think Bruce Arena's had them playing overall a lot better than the sum of their parts. Um, and I also think there's more quality on this team than, than Brad Friedel had them playing with. Uh, but still, I think they went in. When you went into having Bruce Arena as coach, knowing that this team had a lot of weaknesses, um, and I think now it's become obvious that they do still have a lot of weaknesses. That there are some issues with that defense. Um, that there are situations in which you know the attack doesn't finish well enough when they get in good positions. Um, so yeah, they're they're a playoff team. I think I think they have the talent to be a playoff team. And certainly, if they didn't have that terrible stretch with with Brad Friedel, they'd probably be you know comfortably somewhere in the the middle of that pack to make the playoffs. But um, these last few games have just shown me that they're they're still. You know, a lot more talent needed to actually get this team over the hump to be a contender. Yeah, that's right. And and you look at the the teams that are nearby. You mentioned them earlier: Montreal and Chicago. Um, I, I said this a few weeks ago. To me, the biggest threat going into these last few games was Chicago, and a lot of people were, were a little bit surprised when I said that. But their form is the best of all the teams below that that seventh spot right now. I mean, at the time when I said it, they had. Um, you know, some wins, some draws, and they were going into New England. And of course, New England won that game 2-1. So that was where I was like, you know what? They're now kind of safely in that, that zone. But since that game, they, they got a point against Columbus. They beat uh, FC Dallas 4-0 because this is MLS. You never know what's going to happen. And they have games against Cincinnati. You know, it's away at Cincinnati, Toronto FC, and Orlando. I mean, those are those are all winnable games. Um Toronto FC is, is going to be difficult, especially now their current form and they're moving up the standings. But Cincinnati, even though they won this weekend, um, they're obviously a, a, a pretty poor team. They're a team that, um, you know, that that was the first one to be knocked out of the playoffs uh, going through the coaching change. And Orlando is is virtually out of the playoffs at this point. So you wonder at the end of the season, uh, of course, they want to play spoiler. Of course, they want to win at home. But you wonder how much fight's going to be left in that team. Uh, so they're three points back. I, I still think New England holds on to that spot. Uh, but I think that, to me, Chicago is the biggest challenger because you look at the other one, you look at Montreal, and Montreal has to go to the Galaxy. They host Atlanta, and then they host the New York Red Bulls. That's a pretty pretty daunting uh, end to the season, especially when you're already on two losses. Um, you have a coach that, that that's come in that's supposed to turn this team around, but it clearly hasn't. Uh, so you wonder – you know, where exactly uh, Montreal's head is as they enter this last stretch of the season. Yeah, I agree with you. And this was a question that Paulo Acid asked us as well. And I'm 100% agreeing with you with, that Chicago is is the bigger threat to the Revolution. Obviously, the Revolution have a game in hand, so they're in the driver's seat here. Um, but you look at that schedule, Cincinnati, uh, you know, all road games are tough, but Cincinnati has been a really poor team this year. And, I, you know, that's a game that's absolutely winnable for Chicago. Um, you know, any home game, 
um, is I, I consider a winnable game, even against a, a Toronto FC side that's playing a little bit better as of late. So I think that's a game that Chicago could potentially get three points out of. And then, you know, you mentioned Orlando. Um, Orlando is, is not eliminated yet, but um, by the final week of the season, there's a very good chance they will be eliminated. And there's a very good chance their elimination will come in week 33. So then they go into that last game, you know, kind of disappointed that their their season didn't pan out as hoped um and there's a potential there that they you know maybe they're playing for spots and and you know trying to trying to impress but there's also the potential that you know their their season just got crushed the week before and they kind of rolled over for chicago on that one so uh, you know i i 100 agree chicago is the team to, to worry about montreal is kind of limping down the stretch and they have a very very tough schedule to finish out the season at the galaxy versus atlanta and versus new york red bulls they might drop all of those games so um you know, if if I'm the Revolution, the team that I'm scared about catching me is Chicago. I, I still think the Revolution are in a very good position. Given that, I don't you know I don't think Montreal is going to be have enough to catch them. Um, you know, I I don't think Orlando is going to have enough to catch them. Um, but Chicago is that kind of the curveball there where they've been playing a bit better as of late, even with the the loss of the Revolution. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, the other question that Paulo had along the same lines, maybe this is a good time to take that now, is is who would be the best first round matchup for the Revolution, assuming they do make the playoffs? Yeah, so it looks like the Revs are probably going to finish in seventh place. Um, which means that they, they would likely play Philly. Uh, I think it's a fine matchup for them to, to have. I mean, Philly's a, a good team this year. I think they, they play good soccer, and uh, I've, I've long really respected Jim Curran as a coach. Um, I think that's a, that's a, a winnable game to, to go to Philadelphia. I mean, the Revs in Philadelphia have had some wild games in the past, and this is the playoffs, so you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I'd rather have that than, than go to uh, Atlanta, which is probably the other possibility there. Um, so... I mean, Philly, that's not a bad game to have. Uh, maybe you get some fans that are able to travel down to the game and, and get some support there. Um, you know, the, the thing about the playoffs in general is that if you get in, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so Philly would probably be a good good opportunity, a good matchup for the Revs. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think realistically, it's either Philadelphia or Atlanta at this point. Uh, there's a, a long shot for Toronto, but Atlanta has two games in hand on them and, and Philly has one game in hand. And I also don't think that either of those teams are going to catch New York City FC. So assuming the Revolution end up in the, the seventh spot, um, you know, I think Philadelphia is probably the best matchup for them. Um, I think a one game playoff at Atlanta United is going to be extremely difficult. They're going to you know, be 70,000 potentially fans in that stadium cheering against the Revolution. And, you know, even though they haven't been the same team this year that they were last year, they've shown signs of it. And the quality there is just is just so great. Um, Philadelphia has also been a phenomenal home team this year, but um, if, if I'm the revolution, I'm, I'm hoping that it's Philadelphia over Atlanta. And, and in some senses, it might be better if the revolution finished seventh, if that means playing Philadelphia versus finishing sixth, if that means playing Atlanta. So um, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I, I'm hoping it's Philadelphia because I, I could actually make it to that game if it was going to be Philadelphia. So that would that'd be nice for me. Um, but I also think the is a better matchup for the revolution or one that I would give them more of a chance of winning than going to Atlanta in any event any matchup for the revolution where they're traveling on the road for a one game playoff is going to be very very difficult and they're going to be you know heavy underdogs in that matchup but um Philly just feels to me as a more winnable game uh of those two possible options so we got a few more questions on Twitter. Some of them relate back to this game and some of them relate to going forward. I guess we'll jump back into the, the game quickly. And you touched on this one quickly. Uh, but David Sibillion wanted to know, um, was that third goal Diego's fault or is Nanny just that good? Yeah, I think that you just want to be better if uh, if you're going to be defending. I mean, Nani's obviously very good. He's quality. Uh, and I couldn't help but think during this game, I thought he was just absolutely dominant. He's on the ball all the time. Orlando wanted to get the ball to him because they knew his quality was there. Uh, and even though it was so obvious that they were playing the game through him, he was still able to get in spots and hit crosses and put himself in the right zones with his movement and just – yeah, just a quality player. And I couldn't help but think about how there was rumors that he might come to the Revs. And uh, if he comes to the Revs, then maybe you don't get Carlos Hill and maybe you don't get uh, Bo. But, like, that'd just be fun to see all those guys playing with each other. And just the quality of soccer would have been just just pretty amazing. I, I highly doubt that if you get Nani, you get, you know, both of them, let, enough, uh, let alone just one of them. Um, but it just made me kind of think a little bit about it. But going back to Diego Fagundes, I I just don't think it's natural for him to defend. I mean, that's been a criticism throughout his career that he likes to stay high, that he doesn't always want to come back and defend. And now you're putting him in the middle where that's a big responsibility for him, that he has to track players, that he has to make sure that he's putting in hard tackles, that he's not, you know, biting when, when someone's doing a move. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you, you, 
if you're going to be a center center midfielder uh, in a situation like that, then you have to make sure that you 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 stand your ground, that you don't bite too hard on on any type of moves. Um, and I think that you know, obviously Zahibo probably would have been the player that played that position. After him, it's probably Juan Adelo. But um, given the circumstances, both those guys being out, you imagine that that's an opportunity for uh, Caldwell to step in. Uh, whether it's from the start of the game or at halftime. The the tough thing on that goal, too, is it looked like the Revolution had it pretty well covered. Caicedo kind of had um, the right side there, and Fagundes didn't really need to commit the way that he did. Um, you know, I, I wonder if part of the problem there was lack of communication, and, and Fagundes obviously not comfortable or you know not that familiar with playing that role. So you, part of that's to be expected, but... Um, you know, I, I don't know if part of that's on Caicedo to, to, to yell at Fagundes there and say, hey, hey, I got that side covered. You know, you, you stay over there um, because he, he was, you know, Nani was pretty well covered on that play. Um, and there just wasn't a need for, for Fagundes to commit. So that, that's got to be frustrating for Bruce Arena to see. Um, but I also couldn't help but, but think when I saw that play that, you know, Scott Caldwell is probably a bit more comfortable in that position and a, and a bit uh, smarter about, you know, not committing on that play. So, um I don't know. I have, I have trouble putting all that on Fagundes. It was a fantastic play. Um, some of that to me definitely falls on, on communication between him and Caicedo. Um, but it's just, you know, a difficult way for the revolution to, to blow a lead and, and end up with a, you know, end up tying the game on that play. Um, and, and on that note, we had a question from, from Cody Hall about um, why over the past four years do the revolution consistently, and I, I won't use the expression here because we do not have an explicit rating on iTunes. I like to keep that. But, but why do the revolution consistently fall apart between the 45th minute and 55th minute? Um, and he questions whether it's culture, players, or perhaps coaching, even despite there being three different coaches in that stretch. Um, and, and what can we do to, to fix it? Yeah, it's just a, it's a classic situation uh, to kind of fall apart there. Again, which what's weird about this one is that you know the revs come out and it definitely looks like they they're trying to be a little bit more compact as they're playing and they're trying to make sure that uh, they're they're not gonna uh, they're conceding possession a little bit I think in the second half to try to make sure that it's not as easy to play through them. And yes, you you want to mark you know Dom Dwyer a little bit tighter on that second goal, but that's just the header there. It's just a, a pretty amazing header to have happen. And like you mentioned, and the you know, placement of the cross too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's it's one of those players that like they're two quality players, but it's not like it's a, a through ball. It's not like some of the opportunities that we saw in the first half. It's just like a a play where something magical happens and it comes right after the break. It comes at the worst possible time. Basically uh, the fans get into it. The Orlando starts to have a lot more energy. And then the, the next goal, like you said, the Reds are set up in a de- decent position, but now he's a quality player that if you give him that little bit of space, he's gonna, he's gonna punish you. So, so to me, like that's, that's not as, as um, you know, a bad moment for the Revs as we've seen in the past. Like sometimes we just see them fall apart and it's like, you know, silly defensive mistakes and it's just boneheaded moves to me. Like they're, they were doing okay, but like these quality players do do provide a little magic. And now the game's three, three. And of course that's just, that's just disappointing because you're playing a team that is direct competition for a playoff spot um, and you're already up 3-1. So, I mean, for me, it's a little bit of a tough one. It's a little bit different from some other ones that we've seen in the past because it happens so quickly and there's not an absolutely glaring issue that you see there. Yes, you can mark a little bit tighter. Yes, you can be a little bit smarter. But the reality is that you're facing quality players that know how to step up and provide those moments of magic. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And to me, the the more wearing play was actually uh, some of the defensive errors they made after the game was tied 3-3, shortly after, uh, I think early in the 60-something the minute, uh, where, where Kindle just made that run that nobody tracked and, and got open and had that volley on frame that Matt Turner saved. Um, and there were a couple more breakdowns then. I, you know, those two goals... Um, yeah, you can nitpick and, and say they could have defended them better in, in different ways, but you know a lot of that was just really quality players scoring really quality goals, um, and you know sometimes you just have to tip your hat to, to that. And 
Uh, yeah, maybe Fagundes should have done better. You know, yes, maybe somebody should have been tighter on Dom Dwyer, but it, it really didn't. It really seemed like the Revolution did a good job of kind of limiting the the options there until that play opened up on on Dwyer's in particular. Um, so it's 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 tough to say what the Revolution needs to do to fix that. Um, you know, you mentioned the Revolution kind of coming out more compact, and and maybe that was the wrong move. Maybe the Revolution needed to stay more aggressive um, and try to add to their lead. I think the Revolution played better um, under Arena when they're kind of on the front foot than when they're trying to sit back and defend and. We have seen them blow several leads. I think they've this year. I don't know the breakdown between Arena and Friedel, but I think the the stat now is that the Revolution have dropped 19 points from winning positions, which is is obviously not great. Um, and especially as you head towards the playoffs, not a, a good sign. Um, but I, I don't I don't really know what the Revolution can do differently to to fix that, other than um, in particular some some better defending on set pieces and uh, being more aggressive, challenging for headers, and you know obviously not letting the the star player of the other team get that, get that open for uh putting in a cross or, or getting an open header but I, I i do agree with you that a lot of that was just some, some great quality plays and um perhaps more disappointing that the revolution couldn't have finished some of their chances that pania chance again sticks out late in the game where he had a you know great opportunity to finish i think gustavo bow if i remember correctly also had a, a good chance late in the game that um he probably wants back because the, the shot was too close to the goalkeeper um so th- this was just a, a weird game all around and, and, and on that note uh, Randy LH asked, was this two points dropped because of the two goal lead in the first half or a point salvage considering how poorly we, we played in the second half? And we touched on that earlier. I think it was two points dropped because the revolution kind of had this one in hand at halftime. Um, and just the way they played in the second half, uh, I, I think the revolution showed they have more quality than that and are capable of beating a team like Orlando. Um, so to me, this is, this is two points drop. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, if you aren't sure, about that, then take a look at the uh, comments from Bruce Arena after the game. Poor Jeff Lemieux is trying to make it as positive as possible. Talk about, hey, you're still in a playoff spot. This is an important point. You're basically, you know, knocking Orlando out. And every time Jeff tries to speak, uh, Arena basically uh, stops him mid sentence and says, yeah, that, that we played bad. It was a, it was a, a game that we should have won. You know, it, if you're up three one at halftime, you. You, you got to see the game out in some ways. And like I said, it's difficult because those are great moments, but you go back and you figure out how can you make sure that you, you get three points in that situation. Yeah. And another question we talked about Caldwell a bit. Uh, Jason Schmidt wanted to know if he earned a seat back at the big boy table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm like you, I think that you were saying that you're surprised that he doesn't get more opportunities. Um, I mean, remember he signed a new contract this year and granted that's under Brad Friedel and that's under, uh, Mike Burns, but you know this is a guy that that people have talked about highly in the past. I mean, Jay Heaps famously said that if uh, if anyone was ever going to marry his hypothetical daughter, it was going to be a guy like Scott Caldwell. Um, you know, you heard Jermaine <laughs> Jones used to say that he's a future uh, U.S. Men's National Team player, um, and you know he's a guy that a lot of Revs fans have looked at and, and thought very highly of. Um, and, and a game like today, you just imagine that. He's should have gotten more time than he did, but the fact that he didn't probably gives you some sort of idea of, of how Bruce Arena feels about him. I'll be interested to see what this offseason looks like. You know, I, I think Bruce Arena is the type of coach that likes to do right by his players. Uh, we saw that Cody Cropper goes down to um, Hartford, and I think the reason why is because he knows that he needs games, that he knows that he he's not in a situation where he's going to get a lot of opportunities for the revolution. So why not get him some reps and make, make people aware that he's a player that could step in for you and, and do a decent job. Uh, Gabriel Somi was a guy that got cut and got sent away because um, they, they knew he wasn't going to make any minutes there. And there was talk that he could be released by the revs now as a possibility to make a move to Sweden. That hasn't worked out for him. Apparently he's still without a job. We saw the loans for the, the, the homegrown guys to lower divisions. So I think Bruce Arena wants to do what's best for the players on the team. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Scott Caldwell because he, he is under contract, but if he's not going to be a regular contributor, maybe somebody else else in the league uh, wants to pick him up and, and give him a little bit more minutes. Yes, it's a very interesting situation because, as you mentioned, he did sign that, that new multi-year deal um, right before Bruce Arena took over. And, you know, Arena's a guy that, given the situation, if he was to, to move on from Caldwell and, and try to trade him or something, I don't think, you know, you, you couldn't blame Arena because he wasn't the one that had him sign that new contract. So there's certainly that factoring in. But 
Um, it's surprising to me that he's fallen so far off off the radar, kind of for for arena where it took you know injuries to, to injuries and suspensions to guys like Aguadello and, and Zahibo um, to even get Caldwell the, the level of minutes he had in this game, and even then it was you know Fagundes that was kind of filling into the eighth spot before Caldwell because I, I do think Caldwell is a player that has some qualities that can help this team. I don't think he's a guy that's going to win you a championship, um, and I don't think he's a guy that uh, can be you know your your number six that kind of dominates and, and takes over games on his own. He's not going to be a Jermaine Jones. He's not going to be a Shari Joseph, but he's a good complimentary player um, that you know generally is is pretty safe with the ball in possession. You know, there's been some some moments a couple years ago I think that people kind of changed their view on that where he had a couple bad giveaways. But generally, I think he's a guy that does very well keeping the ball in possession and, and making sure the Revolution don't commit dumb turnovers, which it seemed like something they could have used earlier in this game. So I don't know. I, I think he played well. Um, and I think he potentially earned himself more minutes. But with all that said, the Revolution have Zahibo and Aguadello coming back next weekend. And I don't think he did enough to, to earn minutes over either of the two of them. So, you know, even if he did play well and, and maybe he moved himself above Fagundes next time they need an eight fill in, he, he might still be, you know, number three on that chart right now. Um, so I, I don't know what's going to happen there. It's just quite the, the change of events for a guy when, you know, the Revolution re-signed a, a few months ago. You know, you could talk about him and Andrew Farrell being two guys that could potentially become the, you know, the all-time leader in, in Revolution minutes. Um, but now it looks more likely that he's going to go somewhere else or, you know, not be a part of this team than, than get that that honor for the Revolution. So it's, it's very interesting, and I'm curious to see how it plays out. But um, I don't think his play this week, as, as good as I thought it was, is going to be enough to, to move him above Zahibo or Aguadello for that role. So, um, you know, four games left of the regular season, um, certainly something to watch. But if, if he doesn't, you know, get more playing time, I think, you you know, you could be right that we might see the Revolution move on from him in the offseason, which is just crazy to think, given given that that new contract he got. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, it'll be, it'll be again, offseason going to be really Interesting to see what happens. Fagun is another player that we don't know what his future is. And there was rumors that he was going to leave at the end of last season. I mean, that was, that's coming from his dad. And his dad is uh, someone who, who tweets things like that pretty frequently without necessarily always following through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, we've, we've said it multiple times, and Bruce Arena said it, that the rest of this season is a setup for next season. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the offseason. So we talked about this before a, a bit with the, the 45th to 55th minute question, but we had a couple of similar questions here. Justice for Tony asked, why are the Revolution so good at blowing leads? And Mike D asked, what can be done with the current team to stop us from these meltdowns that cost us wins? And is it just as simple as we can't win these games with this roster? Um, we talked about, the, about this before. I don't think it's just as simple as that the Revolution can't win those games with this roster. Uh, you can't tell me that the Revolution don't have enough talent to hold on to a two-goal lead um, against Orlando. I think we talked a bit about some of the things they could have done. Um, and to me, it, a lot of some of that goes back to, you know, when you're in a situation like this and the game's getting away from you, you know, why don't you bring on a guy like Scott Cobble? All that can it can kind of calm the game down a bit. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts since you kind of touched on this, but I, I don't think it's, you know, there is a talent issue, but I don't think there's a talent issue where the revolution don't have enough talent to hold on to a two goal lead against a team like Orlando. Yeah. And we've mentioned it multiple times. I just think it's about holding possession a little bit more and taking the wind out of Orlando. I mean, that goal comes at the worst possible time because they score, they get absolutely hyped. And now the revs are playing a little deep, more defense than they want to play. And Orlando's coming at them with numbers uh, especially this time time of the season when they know their back's against the wall. So I think in a, on a different night uh, when that first goal isn't scored and they, they hold the ball a little bit more, the Revs are able to see that game out. But, um, the, you know, credit to, to Orlando for coming out there and, and pushing the Revs and getting that goal and then getting themselves back in the game. We got three more questions. These ones are all from Revolution Report. The first one's an interesting one. Um, and he asks, is Juan Caicedo worth keeping next season? I know he's old and expensive, but he has definitely contributed this season. What are your thoughts on Juan Caicedo? Obviously, he's a guy that's on loan, so it would require them you know, picking up a, a transfer fee that we have no idea what that would actually be at this point. Yeah, he's not worth keeping around next year. And, I, and that's coming from me, who, who's been the biggest defender of Juan Fernando Caicedo. I kind of made that my my big uh, hill that I was going to, to die on this year uh, because I think he has the qualities of a number nine. Um, he's a different type of striker than Bunbury is. Bunbury presses everywhere he goes. He works really hard. But I think Casado has that, that little bit of quality that you want from a guy up top. I mean, he loves the little back heels. He loves the little runs uh, in the box to, to try to finish things off. He likes to combine with other players. Uh, and he has a, an okay touch at times. Uh, but he's just, he's just not – uh, fast enough. He's just not sharp enough. I mean, you know, the fact that he hasn't played 90 minutes very often or even, you know, minutes beyond like the 70th, 
75th minute kind of tells you that he's he just hasn't really assimilated as well as you'd hope in MLS. I mean, uh, I think he has five goals in the season, which is great for us considering our bet that we made with, with Greg at the beginning of the year. <laughs> um, but I, I just think that uh, he's probably, if you're going to bring him in, he's probably going to command a, a pretty big salary. Uh, I imagine that, you know, Bruce Arena probably already has some targets in mind that could play that, that number nine, uh, number nine role. And maybe you, you use Teal Bunbury to come in later, or maybe Teal Bunbury plays on the wing. Um, but I just think that he's, he's a serviceable player, you know, like he's fine for what the, he, he he's on the roster. So you might as well use him. Uh, but I just don't think that he's the future of the Rams. He's an older player. I mean, he, he's not letting the league on fire. You look at like, you know, for Brian Fernandez over in Portland, he comes in as a number nine and he's a, like a, a full on finisher, similar to, to what, you know, we, you'd hope Casado could be. And Fernandez has just, you know, lit the, the league on fire. He's been excellent in that number nine role. Uh, he doesn't do – Fernandez isn't good at other things, but he, he really finishes all the time, and uh, Casado doesn't do that. I mean, Casado, you know, plays his back to goal. He he finishes here or there, but that sharpness and that quickness just isn't there overall to, to, to bring him in for another year. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he's been – Decent enough for the Revolution this season. Five goals isn't a terrible haul. Um, it's also interesting to note that those five goals have come in as 11 starts and 13 appearances off the bench. He has zero goals. Um, so he hasn't really been someone that's had too much of an impact off the bench. He's worked better as a starter. And and five goals and 11 starts isn't isn't that bad. Um, but, you know, we don't know what that transfer fee is, if it's, you know, perhaps much cheaper than we're, than you'd expect or if it's, you know, if it's usually the, when there's that transfer fee, there also is a you know guaranteed contract that comes in with it. And we don't know what that would be either. Um, you know, certainly if he's even a TAM player, I'd say that'd be too much. Um, you know, the only way if I was a revolution, I would keep him as if, you know, for some, some reason he's not a TAM player and his transfer fee is really low, which would also, you know, factor into being a TAM player. Uh, but I think the revolution can do better than him as a number nine. I think the revolution needs to do better than him as a number nine next season. Um, and, you know, Bruce Arena is capable of, of finding somebody, I would think. Uh, he is 30 years old. He'll turn 31 in the middle of next season. That's not too old for a striker. Um, but you know, th- there's, there's good things about his play. He's a good finisher. Um, but his weird style of running and his, you know, some of the limitations of his game, um, just make me think the revolution kind of need to do better than him, uh, next season when it comes to, to finding a number nine and a guy that can play with Gustavo Bowen and Carly's heel, um, and combine with those guys. So, uh, it'll, it's something to watch for and interesting to see what the revolution do. But my, my bet is that the revolution don't bring him back, um, unless the transfer fee is, is crazily low and the, the contract he would get is, is crazily low and I don't expect that to be the, the case um, and with that said the the next question was what is the biggest position of need for the revolution and that might kind of play into what we just talked about with the number nine role yeah I, I still think it's defensive midfield I mean uh, I'm a huge fan of Luis Cosado I think he's just an absolute bulldog he has uh, Bradfield called him uh, very similar and said that he was very similar to uh, Diego Chara and I see that week in and week out that guy just he just works so hard in the middle of the park. Um, he, he he makes mistakes time to time, but generally speaking, uh, he's doing the right things there. I think you need someone to pair with him. Um, Zahibo has been better under Bruce Arena. I think that it's been clear that, you know, Casado and, and Zahibo have been uh, told what their roles are, and their roles have been more defined, where it's not just about, like, pressing as high as you can and, and working everywhere on the ball and putting all that effort in. Uh, now it's about, okay, just protect the back line. You know, here's the positions that you're going to be in. Uh, you, you don't have to press everywhere on the field. Just be smart about uh, blocking passing lanes so that we we can uh, let the attacking players be attacking players. Uh, so I think that Zahibo has been better. But to me, he's just – he's still not the, the – the bulldog in the middle that you really want. I mean, if you can find someone to pair with Casado, I think um, your defense will be better. I think that uh, your your ability to attack will be better, especially if that player can hit that diagonal diagonal ball to to you know un, un uh, to make the other opponent uh, uneasy in those situations. Uh, so I think that that's probably a higher one in my opinion. Uh, the other one is uh, center back. I mean, that's a really big question because I'm a big fan of De- Delamea, but 
Uh, he's injury prone. He gets a lot of cards. He got another yellow card in this game. Uh, I just don't know if you're going to see him back again. Uh, even if you do see him back, you probably want to bring in a little bit more competition, especially because Andrew Farrell has been excellent there. I mean, that might be his future. I even asked uh, Bruce Arena at one point, is he a center back now? And Bruce says he is now because he has to be. I don't know what his future will be. Uh, but you imagine that uh, Andrew Farrell maybe moves back to that right back position where he's been solid for, for many years, even though he can't necessarily cross that well. Um, I mean, the outside backs are a huge concern as well. You know, I think that if you talk to any Reds fans, they're not really happy with Castillo. And Dewan Jones was exploited against NYCFC. And it's just clear at times that he's a rookie that's just really fast. And maybe he can grow into that position, but I just can't imagine the future of the Revs being Dewan Jones at left back and at the right back position, Brandon By. I mean, both have their, their limitations. So those are positions that you're probably going to want to uh, – to, to upgrade, uh, obviously number nine is another spot, but I think that I mean I, I don't want to go into another season where I see Teal Bumber as a starting number nine, but I think if you upgrade some other positions before that striker position, it's not the worst thing in the world. But I think ideally, you know, you're looking to bring in um, reinforcements at all of those spots. You're looking at three or four spots that you're hopefully uh, upgrading ahead of next year. Yeah, and I'd like to disagree with you because I think we're agreeing too much on this episode. But I, I really would echo everything you just said, except the only thing I would add is that it might actually be four or five spots I would say the Revolution need to, to try to upgrade next season. Um, and I think that's kind of part of the takeaway of these last few games is you know going back to when the Revolution were doing really, really well under Bruce Arena and it seemed like they were unbeatable. Um, you know, There was some question, maybe the Revolution actually don't need that many changes in the offseason. And even Bruce Arena said that, you know, kind of said something along the lines that the roster is better than he thought it was. Um, but I still think they do need four or five upgrades in this offseason um and i would agree that the you know defensive midfield central midfield role that's somewhere where they could really upgrade and, and could have the most influence with somebody in that position um you certainly saw what jermaine jones did you certainly could see in the in the past what charlie joseph added this team and uh when he disappeared how much they lost there uh, up until they got jermaine jones so that's that's a position to me where they could have the most influence with bringing somebody in um but i agree that the, the fullback spots really need an upgrade i i even thought in this game where um jones was okay um his passing percentage was really high but there were definite times in this this game where it was noticeable to me um that his inexperience kind of left him in a not knowing where to be positioned as a left back and kind of not reading the game correctly as a left back and it's to be expected for a rookie that's learning a new position um and maybe during the offseason he can he can learn it better or maybe during these last four games he can learn it better um but i think both him and brandon by and you know maybe dewan jones will be the the future left back and maybe i'm wrong there uh, but i think the revolution could use upgrades from both of them um i think they could use another center back and i definitely think they could use a, an, an upgrade at number nine as, as as well so um i think we're in agreement there and i, I do think we're going to see um you know pretty significant changes from bruce Wayne in the offseason where we, we might actually see five new starters uh come next year so It'll, it'll definitely be a fascinating offseason for sure, especially to see, um, you know, whether the crafts are willing to open up the, the purse strings to allow them to bring in even a, a third designated player um, of the caliber of a, of a Carles Heel or Gustavo Bo, because that can make a, a huge difference for the team. Um, and then the, the last question we had here was also from Revolution Report. What would you grade the season if the Revolution missed the playoffs? If it missed the playoffs, I mean, I don't know. This is such a hard season to to grade because they were so, so bad at the beginning of the year. And then they got much better under Bruce Arena and Mac, Mike Lapper. Let's give Mike Lapper a little credit here. Um, and now they've kind of hit that, that, you know, downturn again. And I, I mean, they're picking up points, which I think is a big positive. I think in, in past years, a lot of these games end up being losses. Um, whether it's because, you know, they're picking up points because they were in a lead and they dropped some goals or because they, they kind of got some big moments towards the end of the game. If they don't make the playoffs, I don't know, you're probably looking at a, a C or so um, because it's about the future. Right. And, and, you know, if you're a revolution fan, you're probably pretty optimistic about the, the future giving Bruce arena, you know, the training center that's open, um, you know, heel being here. And then after that, Bo being another big sign to say like, no, we're, we're going to continue to upgrade, um, this team, obviously, too, there's, there's continual chatter about the, the stadium. I, I think it's pretty fascinating that you keep hearing Bruce Arena say, you know, one day we hope to get a stadium and talking about how good this team will be when we have a stadium. Uh, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath and say that it, it's it's on the horizon, given like all the different times that we heard news in the past. And, 
you know, it's, it's coming soon. Uh, but it just, it is interesting that you hear that more often uh, these days. So I don't know, a C, if they, if they don't make the playoffs, I think that's a huge negative for them because uh, they, they had the ability to make the playoffs. Um, so if they make the playoffs, I'm probably looking at a B or so, but because you're saying that if they don't make the playoffs, maybe I, I reduce that to a C because there's that optimistic, um, there's optimism about what this team looks like next year. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. You look at the, the schedule the Revolution have left, and I think that could kind of play a, a role in it too. Um, I think even with the results recently, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic for next season. Um, but you look at the, how the Revolution finished the season at Port- I mean, versus Real Salt Lake at home, um, and then away on the road at Portland versus New York City at home, and then at Atlanta. So hypothetically, if the Revolution missed the playoffs but still um, don't do terribly down the stretch, let's say they beat Salt Lake, uh, lost to Portland on the road, which you know wouldn't be shocking at all, um, tied New York City FC at home and then lost to Atlanta on the road. Uh, you wouldn't look at those results as incredibly, you know, disappointing or, or shock upsets in any way. I think that's kind of how you look at those games and um, expect them to play out if you were a betting man. Uh, and that might not be enough if Chicago does really well on the stretch. So hypothetically, if that's what were to happen, um, I think you could still give the Revolution perhaps a B minus, factoring in you know how Arena was able to turn this team around for the most part, how poorly they did under Friedel, and also just the fact that there is reason for optimism because they do have Carles Heel now who. Um, you know, is one of those guys you can help build the team around. They do have Gustavo Bo, who's a guy that can be a you know key contributor to this team for at least another couple of years. Um, they do have Matt Turner, who's been playing incredibly well, who you know now looks like the the long term keeper of the future for the Revolution, who they you know signed up to a, a long term contract. And then there's the training facility that's supposed to open, I think, in, in the next 30 days, I think it was recently said. Um, there's been even more murmurings that the Revolution got a USL2 team next year. Um, it sounds like that's probably going to happen. Um, so, or USL Championship, but what, what is it? USL League One, right? That's the, the second division of USL now. Um, Correct. It sounds like, it sounds yeah. like that's probably going to happen. Um, and, you know, there's just a, a lot of reasons to be positive. Now, if the Revolution lost their, their last four games this season, that would put a, more of a damper on things. And I think you're probably looking at more of a, a CC minus. But um, if they, you know, just you know, play decently well, as you'd expect down the stretch and maybe pick up one one in a draw and then lose the other two games and um, miss out because Chicago goes on a, on a great run. Um, I could still see them getting giving them a B minus given given where things were, um, you know, back at, at week twelve of the year. So um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Um, but before we wrap things up, we didn't talk about the the USL team. Um, what would that mean for the franchise if that does happen? Because we heard you know rumors about it a while ago, and, and now we're hearing more rumors that it, it could happen as soon as next season. Um, supposedly, there's going to be three new teams in the league next year, and, and one of them, um, according to, to sources, I forget who who forced you to report us. I'll try to figure that out. <laughs> unless you know uh, what we're talking about it. But uh, what would that mean for the Revolution to finally have a, a USL team of their own? Yeah, I think it would be huge for them. Um, they, they've long struggled with developing some of those those players. Uh, and guys, promising guys have kind of just been hanging on the bench without getting many minutes waiting for the U.S. Open Cup, which is just, you know, and then you, they get there and sometimes these younger players – haven't played they jump into these games and sometimes they're being asked to play out of position because there's not enough uh players to to fill out a roster uh so the Rose got better at that this year with birmingham and sitting two players there zach Haravo and um zach Haravo and brian wright uh that said i'm not sure how much of a future either of those guys have with the revolution so to me i think they just sent him there to say go get some minutes put yourself in the the shop window Think about what your next step might be. I think the bigger ones are looking at um, Red X and Anking because they they weren't really doing anything this year, but they're homegrown players with with potential. Uh, so I think you need – those guys need minutes. That's, that's the, the long and the short of it is that they need professional minutes, and that's what um, an aff- affiliation is supposed to do. And it didn't work with Rochester because they felt so disconnected with, with the team. I, I talked to players that went to Rochester, and they're, they were like, dude, we, we – we just felt like we were on an island. Like nobody cared about us. Nobody was really checking in with us that often. Uh, so that kind of came to an end. Uh, we saw some like short term, like week to week. So you train with uh, with the team, and then you go out somewhere for a game. To me, I, I can't imagine that's that helpful because you don't really know the tactics per se of that team. So unless you're going in there and you're clearly head and shoulders. Uh, above the the players that are already there, um, you're probably not necessarily have the the chemistry to do well um, in those positions. So I don't think that was ever going to be a long term uh, fix. So what we have right now is okay, but there's still a situation where 
Um, you're not training with the first team. So Bruce Arena is probably getting feedback from teams, you know, especially because you think about it. Um, Rennix is down there with Derek Sarakin, and obviously Dave Sarakin and Bruce Arena know each other really well. So I'm sure they're keeping in contact about how Rennix is doing on a week-to-week basis. But I still don't think it's a, an ideal situation. Uh, I think ideally you you have those guys – train nearby um they train with their usl team but they're able to jump into sessions with the revolution or uh bruce arena is able to go to the usl team and to take a look at, at how they're how they're training and how they're doing and think about possible call-ups i mean you look at uh you know the best the best example of this is the red bulls right i mean the red bulls have done an excellent job of, of getting guys opportunities from red bulls too to play with the first team so i think it'd be huge for the for the revs to have their own Team. I think there was a lot of hope that Hartford would be that. I mean, um, I think that the situation that uh, Cody Cropper in is, is pretty decent. I mean, it's different because he's a goalkeeper and you don't have to train with your team in order to do well. You kind of stand between the, the sticks and, and make the saves and, and do those types of, uh, you know, step up for the big moments. Uh, but I think that, you know, there was hope that Revs players would be playing for Hartford. Uh, we did see a couple players, young players, show up on the bench there, uh, but they didn't get any minutes. They didn't play. I'm not exactly sure what happened in that situation. Um, but, I mean, look at Firmino. Like, what, what's his deal? You know, like, what, where, where does he stand in the pecking order as far as this team? Um, so I think that having a USL team is a, is a step in the positive direction. I just wish that some of this stuff came sooner. It just feels like the refs are sometimes reactionary. And there is a positive to that because uh, you don't want to spend a lot of money when you don't fully know if the system's going to work or if it's going to uh, be the right fit for the league. I mean, you look at Montreal and Montreal shut down their USL team, you know? So uh, it's it's okay to kind of wait for, for something to make sure it's kind of perfection. But uh, for the Revs, uh, I think that they could have done this a little bit sooner and, and already started to, to get some of those academy players um, pushing towards the first team. Yeah, and just to give the credits to the original story, it was Colton Qureshi who had the latest story that that said the Revolution would be joining um, USL League One next year. So um, that would be a huge thing. I agree with everything you said. That you know, one guy that we, I talked about with uh, Greg last week was was Tejon Buchanan, who hasn't been getting minutes. Um, I think it would be huge for a guy like that who's 20 years old to continue to be able to train with the first team um, with the Revolution and get that experience, but then also actually get playing time. Um, and it's difficult for a guy like that that you you know you want to be developing yourself if you're Bruce Arena, um, and even a guy like Justin Rennick who has gone out on loan, guys like that that you, that you'd like to see playing training with the first team, um, you know, have the opportunity to still go out and get those minutes on weekends. So uh, I, I think it would be a, a, a huge uh, help for the Revolution, especially considering uh, you know when you look at the Revolution's depth right now and and how they have so many young players that are kind of those. Uh, secondary strikers or, or winger type players that just aren't getting minutes because of you know who's ahead of them because of guys like Pena because of guys like Bo and, and, and Hurley's heel and um, you know even Fagundes uh, when he when he's out there that those guys aren't getting minutes it would be so much better for the Revolution to be able to keep those guys training with the first teams but then still get them game minutes with a with a USL one team and you you mentioned the Red Bulls as a team that has done very well at, at bringing guys up and they they certainly have I just picture the the Revolution uh, not too many years ago when they would go into an Open Cup game they'd have guys like Donnie. Smith playing center back because they were, you know, just didn't want to play first team players and uh, were forced to play guys so out of position that nobody really benefited from that. So you know, you get that USL team and you know that's kind of the end of of the the stupid the stupidity of seeing stuff like that. And you know, even with the Revolution this year and and how thin they've been at center back, um, I think it would be very helpful for the Revolution to you know have had extra pieces down there that they could have called up and and brought in um, when they needed extra pieces on the bench. So. Uh, I, I agree. It's it's overdue for the revolution, but it would be huge if you know the Bruce Arena era started off with with that, with the new training facility, and um, all of that just adds to to me to stuff to look forward to for the revolution next season. Yeah, certainly. And I think you actually missed uh, a question uh, at Carl Sutherland, who I believe is a big Revolution fan. Um, I think he's a guy that's constantly in the stands. Uh, he asked, "Should Diego be the team captain?" Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go no on that. I know Carl's a huge Diego Fagundes fan, but I, I think uh, you got to be a regular starter to be the captain, right? Yeah, I think so. I think I see him oftentimes wearing Diego Fagundes jerseys, uh, waiting outside uh, Gillette Stadium for for autographs. So uh, I, I totally understand, you know, wanting to to put a pitch out there for for someone who you really enjoy, really uh, like supporting. But yeah, I think you have to be a starter to be a captain. 
But thanks for uh, thanks for the question, Carl. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I always appreciate questions from Carl. So, um, and before we wrap things up, the Revolution, as you mentioned, have four big games coming up to decide whether or not they make the playoffs. Um, do you think we see any any major lineup changes um, against Salt Lake? Yeah, I imagine Zahibo comes back into the fold. Um, I, I like to see Juan Fernando Casado stay up top uh, because you know I think he's just a better number nine. Like you said, he he does a better job starting, and then you could give uh, Teal Bumbray a little bit more rest. Um, one guy we didn't mention, I thought Pania had an excellent game. Uh, obviously, the goal was was stellar, was world-class. But I think beyond that, I thought there was a lot of energy from him. I mean, he needs to do better on those two opportunities in the second half. They're, the shots are basically right at the goalkeeper. But I thought that like he, he was doing all the stuff you'd want him to do. So I think that he'll continue to start out there. Um, I think in the, the back line, you're, you're probably looking at that same, that same back line. Um, Zahibo is probably the biggest one that, I, that I'm thinking off the top of my head that, that comes into the lineup. Yeah, I agree with that. And it was actually surprising if you if you looked on Twitter, there were a few people that were pretty negative on Pena after this game because I thought he had a you know decent game as well. Um, he was also involved in Gustavo Bo's goal in the build up there, um, and you know his goal was obviously fantastic. They, certainly, you can knock him for not having better finishing late in the game, but um, I, I think he's he's earned another another start for the Revolution. Um, I like you suspect that the change that we're going to see is Zahibo coming in for Fagundes, but otherwise, I think we're going to see a, a pretty similar lineup. Um, I. You know, I'd be surprised if Bunbury is ready to, to start and go 90 minutes. Um, but but maybe that's another change for Caicedo. But other than that, I think we're, we'll probably see the the same lineup from the Revolution and Bruce Arena that we that we saw this week. Um, and before we wrap things up, do you want to give out your your Twitter handle and let people know where they can find your writing? Yeah, at Sethman31. Uh, I write for the Ben Musket. I'll have a three thoughts piece coming out tomorrow. Uh, which is pretty similar to what you just heard, but maybe you want to read it instead of uh, hearing my voice. Thanks, Seth. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue and, of course, follow us at Revolution Recap. And uh, we should be back again next week. Thanks for listening. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.